Well, good morning, Antioch. So good to see you guys today. I'm glad you're here. My name's Pete, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I was uh, thinking this week, it was two years ago this week that I came here to uh, kind of candidate for the role of uh, coming on the team here, and uh, it's gone quickly. Thank you. <laughs> and then I, I just thought of it again a moment ago as I was... Uh, with Kit backstage, he's under the weather. Um, one of my first sermons, I came out here and I was a little under the weather, took a swig of my coffee as I was going into the sermon. I apologized and said, I, I usually don't drink bourbon this early, right? Most of you guys laughed. And then um, a retired gentleman comes up to me afterwards and goes, you don't really drink bourbon, do you? And I was like, uh, he's like, you should be a Scotch man. So... <laughs> That's how I knew. We're going to be all right. We're going to make it. So Dunscum, you know where you are. But we, uh, we're in a series called Sacred Roots. And um, it's essentially uh, diving into the idea that Christianity is a received faith. Christianity is a received faith. Meaning, first of all, that we don't make ourselves Christian. We don't save ourselves. But God saves us, right? And we know that it's by grace, through faith, that we are saved. We are brought in to this family, brought into this community, brought into this life and identity, not by any good thing that we've done, but by the goodness and the graciousness of God. He has gifted us this new life we have together in Christ forever. So that's the first thing I mean when I say it's a received faith. Secondly, we're not making this thing up. This isn't the latest, greatest trend. This isn't the newest fad. Um, God has literally been calling people to himself through Christ uh, since the beginning of our calendar, right? That's how we divide time, at least in our society. So millions upon millions of people have gone before us in this faith. All throughout the world, Throughout the last 2,000 years, uh, people have been following Jesus as Christians. And for me, I find great comfort in that, that this isn't just the newest thing going on that I want to be part of, but this is something, this is a story that's been going on for a long time. And so the questions that we're wrestling with and the doubts that we're voicing and all of the things that we're learning about who God is and who Jesus is and who we are in him, we're not the first people to ask those questions. So we can learn from those that have gone before us in the faith. It's not a perfect story. Our family tree is a little jacked up at points, and we can acknowledge that. But we can also come together like this with this beautiful uh, rootedness or groundedness in this historic Christian faith. And so throughout the next several weeks, we started last week with Ed talking about discipleship and what that's looked like throughout the generations. Um, we're going to continue to talk about these kind of ancient practices that would form an authentic faith in us. Okay? And so this morning, we're going to talk about the idea of revelation, not the book of Revelation at the end of your Bible, but the doctrine of revelation that God himself has taken it upon himself to make himself known to us. We have a God who reveals himself 
to the world. And uh, we're going to talk about what it looks like to listen to him. And so uh, I'll invite you, if you have a Bible, to go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. And we're just going to take a short chunk from this passage, um, the first three verses, and, uh, and talk about how we, as the people of God, can learn to listen to the voice of God. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And we'll stop there for this morning. So the author of Hebrews, you'll notice, is doing a similar thing to what we're doing. He's speaking to this community of Christ followers and saying, you're part of this much bigger story. That this isn't the latest, greatest thing, but following Jesus as the people of God goes way back in our story. And it's, it's something that's comforting and confidence building. Okay, and so what he does here in the beginning few verses of the book of Hebrews is lay out this idea that we have a God who speaks. And he builds upon the history of God's people saying uh, in what we would call the Old Testament times, right, in the, in the story of God before Jesus, God spoke to his people primarily uh, through these prophets, these people that he raised up to be his mouth and to speak his truth to his people and to those around. And so one of the foundational Christian doctrines that all Christians throughout all history for centuries now have held on to is the doctrine of revelation. That the God who created the universe is a God who reveals himself into that creation. We have a God who speaks. Okay? And so for some of us, that's um, a really normal idea and we're comfortable with it. For others, that's a really weird idea. And maybe you've had really, um, I'm actually going to assume most of us have had at least one or two strange encounters, experiences, or observations where people claim that God is talking to them. And you're like, yeah, I'm not sure about that, right? I actually had a roommate once who owed me a, a significant amount of money, told me he'd been praying, and God told him he didn't have to pay me back, right? I'm like, uh, keep praying, man. <laughs> Now, I would believe it if God told me that I could tell my roommate he didn't have to pay me back. He, God didn't say that, though. So, <laughs> um, it gets weird. If you remember that TV show House, right, the brilliant atheist jerk doctor, uh, I remember one episode where this guy came in and he claimed, claimed in, came into the ER and claimed that he was hearing from God, and Dr. House goes, if you talk to God, you're religious. If God talks to you, you're psychotic, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, it's funny, I've also literally been with uh, psychotic people that are sorting through the voices in their head and trying to figure out which ones are God or, or not, right? So 
I, I don't want to enter this conversation lightly, um, but at the same time, we don't want to let these weird or uh, negative experiences kind of shape the whole way we see this conversation. We have a God throughout history who, have, who has taken upon himself to speak. He wants to be heard. He wants to be known. He wants to be loved. And so he reveals himself to his creation. And some of you, I know, feel like you're able to hear from God on a regular basis. Some of you hear from God through creation, the beauty of the mountains, stars, ocean, river, animals, whatever it is. Others of us hear from God on a regular basis through Scripture. That either when we're reading or studying on our own, it's like we're not just reading, we're hearing God's word to us. Or maybe it's through the preaching and teaching of God's word that you felt like this isn't just information that's coming at me, but I feel like God's actually revealing himself through the word. Most of us, many of us have had that experience. God speaks to us in many other ways too, right? Through the circumstances of our life, both those that we would see as positive and those that are negative, God speaks, he shapes. God speaks to us through one another within community through the words, the prayers, the lives, the relationships we have. And sometimes God speaks through what we often call the still small voice, right? The promptings of the spirit. And so for a lot of us, um, we've had this idea of a talking God and maybe have several experiences throughout our life or maybe many of them where it feels like I hear from God. Others of you are like, "Ah, I get the idea that God speaks um, just doesn't feel like it happens much in my world. In fact, just the other day, Jen and I and the kids were driving home from somewhere, and Emma, our eight-year-old, goes, why doesn't God ever talk to me? And then Mo, our six-year-old, goes, yeah, me neither. And it's like kind of starting this little riot in the, in the back of the expedition. And not Myla, she's just like looking at her knee or something, you know, but it's, <laughs> it's a common question. And they had whatever, either from being around Jen and I or in in church setting or something, they've gotten this idea that we're supposed to be able to hear God. And some of us ask with them, why doesn't God ever speak to me? I don't feel like I'm able to hear from him. But like I said, Christians have always believed that we have a God who speaks. Think about the very first time in the, in the Bible when God is spoken of in the third person, meaning somebody makes a, says something about God other than the author. Does anybody remember what it is? It's in Genesis chapter 3, third chapter of the Bible, and this serpent says, did God really say The first question that's asked in the Bible is this question. Questioning whether God has actually spoken. And if he has, has he spoken in a way that we as humanity can claim to understand? The serpent would say to to Eve, did God really say what you think he did? Do you really think you can hear God? Do you really think In God speaking, you know what he's saying. 
And so it would make sense that if God's verbal revelation was at the heart of the fall, literally the way that Satan unleashed the power of hell on earth, then God's verbal revelation is also at the heart of redemption. It's also one of the very first things he does in sending Jesus into the world on this epic cosmic rescue mission to make all things new. So what the author of Hebrews says here is that, yeah, God's spoken in many ways throughout history. But ultimately, in these last days, in these pinnacle days of this story, he has spoken to us, verse 2, by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. And then this verse, verse 3, one of the most beautiful scriptures to me. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What the author's saying when he says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being is that one of the main things God accomplished when he sent his son Jesus into the world is to reveal to us ultimately who he is and what he's like. God has shown himself to us, spoken to us. Yes, through creation. Yes, through scripture. Yes, through community and the promptings of the spirit and circumstances. But ultimately and the most clearly, God has revealed himself to us by sending his son. Which is why Jesus at different times in his life and ministry would say to those around him, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. If you've heard my words, you've heard the words of God. Whatever is true about me, Jesus would say, is true about God. And so if there's one thing that we need to know about God, it's this. God is like Jesus. We have a Christ-like God may sound a little bit strange to put it that way. But most people I know believe in some sort of God. They'd be willing to acknowledge that there's probably some higher power out there somewhere. But a lot of people wouldn't, have, uh, wouldn't be real comfortable saying, yeah, I actually know that God, or I would be willing to say what that God is like. But what we have in God is one who wants to be known, wants to be loved, and therefore reveals himself to us in Christ. So anything that's true, if we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus, ultimately and finally. Anything that's true about him is true about God. It's crazy. So if in Jesus we see someone who cares about the poor and the oppressed, that means God cares about the poor and the oppressed. If in Jesus we see somebody who is compassionate and kind and forgiving, then that means we have a God who is compassionate and kind and forgiving. If we see in Jesus someone who is against, radically opposed to greed and hypocrisy and empty religion, that means we have a God 
who's opposed to greed and hypocrisy and empty religion. So God has spoken to us, revealed himself to us, ultimately and finally in Jesus. Brian Sand said it this way, Jesus is the true and living word of God. Jesus is what the law and prophets point toward and bow to. Jesus is what the Old Testament was trying to say but could never fully articulate. Jesus is the perfect word of God in the form of a human life. God couldn't say all he wanted to in the form of a book, so he said it in the form of Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. Isn't that great? And so this is why Christians have the confidence to actually make truth claims about what God is like within the context of a pluralistic society. So again, many in our culture would say, yeah, there's probably a God, but I even heard somebody say this in a debate recently, an atheist or an agnostic say, yeah, there may be a God out there, but I would never be so arrogant as to claim to know what that God is like. So um, there's this classic Hindu parable that's told in essentially every introduction to philosophy or introduction to religion class. Um, I know I heard it several times in college, and maybe you did as well. But the story goes like this. There's a king, and the king asks these five blind men to describe an elephant, right? And so the king sits back and watches, and these five blind men come in, They can't see, and so with their hands, they each go to a different part of the elephant and describe to the king what an elephant is like. And so one goes to the leg of an elephant, feels it it out, and goes, oh, an elephant is like a tree. And another goes to the trunk of the elephant and goes, oh, the elephant is like a snake. And another goes to the side of the elephant and feels it and says, the elephant must be like a wall. And this parable is told oftentimes in the context of discussion of religion and life within a pluralistic society, meaning there's many different faiths, worldviews, beliefs, right? And it's supposed to essentially humble all of us or essentially keep us from claiming that we know what an elephant is like, right? So it would teach us to say, that no religion has the whole truth and that when you claim you have the whole truth, um, you are ignoring the fact that everybody else has their truth as well, right? So each one is partly right, each one's partly wrong, each religion or worldview or faith sees part of the truth, okay? Um, Now, there's some good things that come out of that parable. I'm not knocking the whole thing. I think anything that would bring us to humility to dialogue, to conversation, to embrace the general revelation or the goodness of God through those that believe differently than us, that's great. We can learn from people of other faiths. I'm not afraid of that. But I do have a couple responses. And one is from Leslie Newbegin, who's a British Christian missionary to India in the 50s. And he encountered this this, uh, parable on a regular basis as he sought to proclaim the gospel of Jesus um, in the 1950s, here's how he replies to this parable. Listen carefully. He says, the only way you can tell the story about the blind men is if you are the king. 
The only way you could know that none of the blind men had a grip on the entire elephant is if you yourself could see the entire elephant. The only way you could say no religion has the whole truth is by claiming that you have the whole truth, which is the very thing you say no one else has. Get what he's saying? Pretty slick, right? He's like, so anytime somebody within a pluralistic society claims that all religions to God, you basically get to say, well, how do you know that? Because that's a faith claim as well, isn't it? It's not something you can prove, but it in and of itself is one of those positions that's trying to describe what's God's, what God's like. So there's no way to say that all religions are equal unless you assume the, the kind of knowledge that you're saying nobody can have. Okay. Here's my second response to the elephant parable. What if the elephant could talk? What if it wasn't just a passive object standing in the middle of the room with all of us trying to figure out what it is? What if the elephant spoke? What if the elephant wanted to be known and took it upon himself to reveal himself, to speak, to describe himself in a way that these blind men could actually receive? That would change the whole story, right? The good news of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, we have a talking elephant. <laughs> he hasn't left us to speculate and philosophize and wonder if there's a God, what is that God like? God has come to us, communicated himself to us in the most clear and profound way, not just through a beautiful creation, not just through this inspired word, but through the person of Jesus Christ. God has spoken to us, is what Hebrews is saying, through his son Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. We have a Christ-like God. If there's one thing you need to know about God, it's that he's like Jesus. And so when we look to Christ, when we hear his words, we are seeing and hearing from God himself. Now here's what's crazy. He goes on in verse 3 and says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So this isn't just in the past what we would look at as 2016 years ago, but he's speaking in the present tense, in this day and age that we live in, that Jesus continues to speak, that God continues to reveal himself to humanity through Jesus. It's not past tense. It's he is sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus still speaks today. He didn't quit, quit after the ascension, but he continues to speak. And therefore, the invitation would be to listen to him. Do you remember in the transfiguration story, this incredible, miraculous, mysterious moment where several of the disciples get an upfront view at this powerful exchange between God the Father and God the Son on a mountaintop? And this voice from heaven 
comes down speaking the same words that he spoke over his son at the baptism. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God speaks that. God the Father speaks that about and to his son, Jesus. But then, in several gospel accounts, he says, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. He is my word. He is what I have to say. I'm going to invite us to do something together this morning. And instead of just talking about listening to Jesus, we're going to create some space to actually do it. When you came in, I hope that you got a blank piece of paper um, that may say listening to Jesus on it. <laughs> Did you get one of those? If uh, you didn't, we'll hand those out, and you're going to need a pen as well. Slip up your hand, and Kip's got that stuff. By the way, he's not sick. He just smokes a lot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I shouldn't say that. And I um, want everybody, if, if you don't have that paper, maybe find, find uh, another place in your bulletin to write down a few thoughts for a few minutes. And uh, this may feel like a strange thing for you, and I'm okay with that. There are certain things that are only going to happen in the context of the church gathering. Right? You won't do this anywhere else in your life, and I actually think those are the things we should embrace, not feel weird about. We believe that we have a talking God, that he has spoken ultimately to us in Jesus, and that he continues to speak to us today. We are inhabited by God's spirit and have been given ears and a heart and a mind that is that of Christ. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to take five minutes. I'm going to stop talking, and I want you, if you're willing, to write a letter to yourself from Jesus. And I don't want you to self-edit as you go, but I simply want you to sit down and write a letter from Jesus to you in the next five minutes. Sound good? Okay. As you finish up, um, I don't know what that was like for everybody. Maybe a really weird, strange, churchy thing that made you uncomfortable. Or maybe that actually felt like a, a sacred or divine moment of prayer and connection with God. Um, I'm going to push it even a little further. I would love to invite a handful of you to come and share at least a part of your letter from Jesus. We've got two mics down at the bottom of the aisle. And uh, if maybe two, three people want to come and uh, gather at each mic, if you would have the courage um, to share even just a part of your letter from Jesus, then I'd, I would love for you to do that. Come on down. You don't have to raise your hand. Just come to the mic. Obviously, this isn't a time to uh, <laughs> do anything weird, right? So if you're super weird, don't do this. But um, <laughs> everybody else, <laughs> come on down. You can come to the mic while others are sharing. Why don't you turn around and face that way? 
Thank you. Okay, now I'm really scared. <laughs> wow. Okay. <clears throat> uh, dear Nancy, I see the good works that you have been doing. I trust and love you as you get to know me. I know you have fear, as that is really all that is familiar to you. But trust in me as I put my arms around you. I hold you tight. It will be all right. Continue to love others well, and more will be revealed. And remember, I will always be here waiting, loving, and living through you. My love forever, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Turn around and face that way if you would. Thanks. Okay, I'm actually shaking quite a bit now. <laughs> My dear one. Oh, gosh, why am I going to cry? Um, do you know how much I love you? I created you, and I love you. You may not hear my voice, but I hear yours. You are never alone. I support you in all you do. I will be there to hold your hand and give you strength. You are precious to me. You are never alone, and you never will be. I will guide you and teach you and help you to grow into the person I made you to be. You are never without me. Have faith and trust in the fact that I am always with you. I love you, dear one. Awesome. Thank you. A couple others, come on down. Well, first he wanted me to know that I'm not Captain America. <laughs> I got a memo. It says to Kelly from Jesus. My son, I've been here with you all along. I love you. I do not keep a record of your mistakes or your weaknesses. I often push your limits because as you often tell your sons, it's not good to have too easy a life. Look at how much you've grown through hardship and trial. Look at how I've restored you with such a lovely and big family. Love Jesus. P.S. Good job on that AirLink rebrand. Now stop telling your family that every time a helicopter flies by. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Dear Chelsea, what I'm asking you to do is hard, I know this, but I'm always with you. When you lust, when you lie, when you cry, when you think, when you speak, when you hear, I'm with you. I know this can be scary, this life that I've given you, and it scares you. It wasn't given by mistake or by a wild chance to see if you would fail or walk away. I know and I have felt your worries of leaving me, and I know you, Chelsea. I see your heart, I made it. I have always, you have always belonged to me. You have been in me before the beginning of time, and I need you to let go, Chelsea, of all these things, sex, life, weight, being broken, feeling unbeautiful on the inside. Let me fix you. Let me fix you, Chelsea. Amen. Thank you. My child, you stumble and fall. You hit walls and barricades. But these things are meant to make you stronger 
by making you weaker, by learning to let go that I may help you. You are a stubborn one. When will you learn to stop pushing me away, to stop refusing my hand, but to rest in my embrace? I have never left you, and as you walk away, I follow. You are my child. I will always be there, and I will always love you. Amen. Thank you. We could do this all day, and uh, we would enjoy that. We'll stop there for now, and here's some of the questions this raises for me. Um, first of all, did you hear any uh, common themes in those letters from Jesus? What are some of the, the things that tended to keep coming up? Speak, speak a couple out. Love. Seems like love was a big deal to Jesus. What else? I know you. Say it again, Tom. I know you hear me. Yeah. What else? Some compassion. Good. Good. Yep. So, for how many of us is your letter from Jesus? something that contains his love for you, his commitment to you, and an invitation to trust him, to know that he's with you, that he knows you, that you're okay? How many of us wrote something down along those lines? Right. Right. If you were to write a letter to yourself, do you think it would sound the same way? I know mine wouldn't. <laughs> Jesus likes Pete way more than Pete likes Pete. Which is why I think that obviously, you know, there's nothing magical about the little uh, exercise we just did, but I actually think there's good reason to believe that many of us have just heard from God. That this isn't just a doctrine that Christians have held on to. This is actually something we believe it continues to shape our life that God speaks to us through Christ. And it's these beautiful words of love and acceptance and affirmation. I know you and I'm with you. And yes, there may be some conviction of sin. Turn away from that stuff. Come to me. Trust me. Let me fill your heart. The second thing I would say is that it may seem strange to hear the voice of God through a letter that you obviously are penning with your own hand. Um, if you remember the animated film, Prince of Egypt, came out 20 years ago or so, right? I remember reading a fascinating article with the director at one point who was trying to figure out what God's voice should sound like to Moses in the burning bush. And should it be James Earl Jones again, or Charlton Heston, or what does the voice of God sound like? And the director couldn't figure it out, and so he pulled together a team of biblical scholars and theologians and asked them, what should God's voice sound like to Moses? And their reply was, it should sound like Moses. So in the movie, Prince of Egypt, Val Kilmer it does the voice for both Moses and God. When God speaks to Moses in the bush, 
Moses hears him in his own voice. I think it's brilliant and beautiful. Some of us have maybe had these crazy writing in the sky or audible revelations from God. Most of us haven't and won't. But if the gospel's true, that we are now included with Christ, we are united to him, that we no longer live, but Jesus lives in us and we partake in his relationship with the Father, that the same words the Father would speak to his son, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased, he speaks now to us. If the gospel's true, then God and God's voice isn't some distant, remote, weird thing that has to break in from the stratosphere. He lives within us. And his work is forming the life and character and image of Jesus within us. So I'm actually convicted that most Christians know God way better than we think we do that we hear Jesus way more than we realize, that God is constantly speaking and revealing himself to us through Christ who is in us. Now, if your letter from Jesus contains something that directly contradicts the scriptures, we would probably need to take another look at it. If your letter from Jesus contains something that the community around you would go, "Ah, I don't know if you're hearing from God on that one, we take another look at it. And so we discern within relationships. But on the whole, when we hear the Father say of his son, I love you, I'm well pleased with you, and then when Jesus speaks to us, he's saying the same thing, it feels like we're on the right track. And so Jesus is the word that God has to say to us. And finally, if that's true, then Jesus is also the word that we have to say about God. As we live as the body of Christ within this city and within this area, as those in whom his spirit dwells, as those who he has called together out of this world to be his physical representation in the world, then we also have been entrusted with this mission. To speak, to show, to demonstrate, to embody the good news that is Jesus for the watching, dying world. Jesus is the word we have to say about God. Many of you have been around Antioch for a long time and remember when Ken and others used to constantly remind this church why we're called Antioch. But it comes from this place in the book of Acts that says they were first called Christians at Antioch. So here's what's fascinating to me. In the Bible, the word Christian wasn't self-description. It was public verdict. 
They weren't going around calling themselves Christians. They were simply living in such a way that the watching world goes, oh, you're Christian. You're Christ-like. They didn't mean it as a compliment, (laughs) which makes it all the more impressive that that first community of Christ followers had this word to say about God. Jesus is our life is our hope, is the one to whom we cling, the one to whom we pray, and the one in whom we trust with our lives and with the world. And I wonder, would the same thing be said about us as well? If we weren't to identify ourselves as Christian, would those at work, in our neighborhood, in the world around us, be able to look at our life and see something of Jesus. That's the work that Christ is doing in us. So I don't mean that as a condemnation. I mean that as an invitation to joyfully hope and submit to the work of the Spirit because he wants to show himself to the world through us. His body. Who he loves. So our Father, we are so thankful that you speak in all the different ways that you have spoken, are speaking today, and will continue to speak. We are grateful that you are a God who reveals yourself. And Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking to us today. Whatever that experience was like, I know, I believe that you are with us as we've gathered in your name and for your glory, that you are in us as you've reconciled us to yourself. And your heart and your mind are now within us as well. So thank you for your words. Thank you for your love, for your affirmation, for your encouragement. And thank you that you are the one who can satisfy our souls. You are the one who can fulfill the longing of our hearts. You and you alone, Lord Jesus, are what we need. You are what we want. And so I would pray for us as an expression of your body here in Central Oregon. Would you continue to give us this faith to receive this grace, to be your people to live and to speak your good news to one another, to ourselves, and to the world. We love you. We trust you. We rest in your word. In Jesus' name we pray.